This is episode number 85 of the Church Collective Podcast. In this episode, Adam Dolhanek, Chris Bellamy, and myself talked with James Mead from Cutlass about the process of writing for their new album, how Cutlass got started. We talk about gear. We talk about uh, their new guitarist, Nathan Parrish, who's also a contributor. Uh, if you want to see some of his stuff, you can click on the uh, links in the show notes for this episode. And uh, just so much cool stuff. So we're going to jump right in with the Church Collective Podcast, episode number 85. This Everything I'm reading about this new record says that it's sort of a, um, I don't want to call it a return to form, that implies something that I don't, I don't think, but um, th- that it's it's kind of you guys uh, being cutless. And, and I noticed your first few records were produced by the same guy and you're working with that guy again. Um, was yeah. that an intentional shift back to something or? Absolutely it was. Um, and, you know, from my perspective, I'm totally comfortable with saying that it's a return to Cutlass as a rock band. So we can just say that. <laughs> um, I That was a goal from the beginning uh, when John, Micah, and I started talking about this record. Um, we, for a long time, had been curious what it would be like to work with Aaron Sprinkle again uh, since it had been about 10 years, really. Um, the last record we recorded with him was Hearts of the Innocent. And um, we we always loved working with Aaron. Um, but at the time that we wanted to make our following album, which was called To Know That You're Alive, we really felt like we wanted to just like step out um, and do something on our own a little more and kind of test the waters with a different producer and see... Um, you know, we, we felt like Aaron was carrying a lot of the weight in the early years because, you know, we were, um, oh, cool. Is Chris joining the call? Sweet. Um, God, I'm funny. <laughs> Sorry we about were, that. You know, in the early years, we, we were super young. I was, I was 18 when we got signed and, um, we were super young and, uh, a little bit dysfunctional <laughs> at times in the studio. And so, when we wanted to make this album this year, um, it started off with me calling Aaron to see if he wanted to get together to write just for fun. And we did, and we had a blast. Like it was such a cool time to like catch up and talk about what had transpired over the last 10 years, just personally in our own lives. And, um, just really talk about what the Lord had been teaching us and stirring in our hearts and, Aaron had gone through a lot of things too. And um, we all, uh, as the conversation started to to develop into like, hey, Aaron, would you be interested in producing this record again? Um, We all just really felt the Lord just kind of drawing us to be close knit again. And it was super fun. So we knew that um, with Aaron, especially being more prepared now than we ever were in the past and just more sure of like who we are as a band. We just knew we could just knock it out and really do a good job. And um, it was cool because Aaron and John Micah, who's the singer in the band, he's my business partner. We've been in the band together since the beginning. Um, They really put a lot of the responsibility on my shoulders on this record, um, which was super fun. I, I typically am the guy who will kind of back off 
and just let other people bring their ideas to the table because I really feel like being in a band is a collaborative process in which you shouldn't always fight for your own opinion. Like, you know, we're five people. So, but this time around, we really just decided, you know, let's just keep it just me and John Micah. We're the two original guys and let's write. And they just really, Aaron and John Micah both were like, James, we really feel like you can um, step it up. And it, it was a good challenge, like a healthy challenge. They were like, we feel like you can step it up and bring kind of this rock sound back. And so that was our goal from the beginning. Can you, can you talk about um, regrouping? with? Because you guys have had sort of a, a, ro- a rotation of members over the years. And for worship players, you know, a lot of times we, we find ourselves sort of seasonally regrouping. Somebody moves away, somebody, um, something yeah. changes in their life. And so we're, we're regrouping as a band kind of constantly. Can you, can you talk about that and how you guys have dealt with that process? Yeah. Hey, that's a really interesting perspective to talk about. Um, you know, I also play worship a lot and um, am suddenly finding myself thrust into a group of various people who, you know, maybe I've played with one of them before or none of them and like varying talent levels and, and ages, you know, so the most recent, uh, time that I led worship, I was like at least 10 years older than everybody. <laughs> and, um, it was just really humbling. Cause I was like, Hey, we could do this thing sort of like this Pearl Jam lick. And everyone was like crickets. And I was like, what you you literally don't know what I'm talking about. <laughs> um, so, uh, you know, I think um, it's it's an interesting skill, I guess you could say, to be adaptable in that way um, and to really play for the song because that's ultimately what we're all trying to do. Like, um, um, you know, the, as a musician, as a guitarist, you you need to serve th- what else is happening too um you know and oftentimes in in worship you're kind of laying like an atmospheric bed at least in in modern worship trends right now you're laying like an atmospheric bed and really doing something that accentuates maybe the melody being sung or um a message being shared at that moment uh and then um, incorporating dynamics into it from there. Like a lot of times that will build dynamically to a big, um, lift in the song, so to speak. So just being adaptable with different types of, uh, well, personalities as well, but different types of players. Um, sometimes you get like a young drummer who's just testing out the waters with a click track for the first time. And, He's, you know, aggressively on top of the beat, like rushing almost. And uh, you got to in you got to humble yourself to be able to share from your own wisdom and experiences um, with that with that other guy. Um, you know, hey, you're, you're sort of rushing. Um, here's here's how you can kind of just lay back and. You know, to just be able to share your own um, 
experiences with people is a skill in and of itself without making them feel like you're getting all on their case. Um, and then in our band, it's sort of the same thing. Like we've had a lot of guys come and go over the years. And, you know, since I'm the longest standing band member who's, I mean, John Micah plays several instruments on stage, but primarily he's a singer. But I'm, you know, I'm kind of the guy that knows all the songs. So I have to, like, teach people the songs all the time. And every time we get a new guy, it's like I got to start all over again. And especially if it's another guitar player, I have to kind of see how they fit in with my guitar playing Um and um, and we we got to kind of test out. Here's how these parts work together, and you know, um, just move on from there, and, and really try and become a cohesive unit pretty fast. Because we've been a band for a long time, and if we go out and perform, it doesn't matter if it's that guy's first show or not. Our fans are expecting a certain level of performance, you know. So um, most recently, we got a new guitarist. His name's Nathan Parrish, and um, <clears throat> and Ryan. I think you know him, which is awesome. Um, he's a great guy. He's so so great, and <laughs> he has been uh, just a really great addition to our band. He and I have a lot of similar guitar playing background, and um, when our former guitarist Nick Departee left our band who was, you know, my guitar soulmate, so to speak. <laughs> we, uh, that was a really hard transition for me. Um, and we had a different guitar player in between Nick and Nate, and his name is Vince. And he's amazing and really helped me through that transition a lot. Uh, now he's playing for um, Lauren Daigle, um, you know, more of like on the worship circuit of stuff. So, um, yeah, it is hard it is hard to bring new people in and to adapt. And I mean, that's, that's a skill though, being in a band and being a guy that plays in worship is really, um, I think it's less about your playing ability and more about how you carry yourself and treat other people. And, um, if you're easy to work with. (laughs) Sure. No, when you've got that regrouping going on, and, and we talk a lot as worship leaders about how do you transfer what we hear recorded to a live format, and you guys have to do that where you've been in the studio and and you can choose you know to do one guitar on the rhythm and one guitar on the solo and and five different amps you know and, and how do you how do you bring your songs from the studio to the stage? And can you walk us through that process a bit? Um. Well, uh, specifically on this new record of ours, Surrender, um, like I said, I did. I, I pretty much had to play most of the guitars on the record, um, and Aaron Sprinkle played uh, quite a bit of it as well. But between he and I, you know, we had to come up with different parts and think like different players and stuff, and. Um, I tried to, as much as possible, make those parts feel like exactly how I would play them live or um, like literally use 
the things I would be using live um, so that replicating them was a bit easier. Um, however, I guess what you're really asking is like with multi-tracking several guitar parts at a time, if there's any more parts than just two guitar players can cover, meaning myself and Nathan, um, what do we do there? Um, well, we mix those into uh, Ableton Live and um, trigger those tracks um, through a uh, some multi-tracking unit so that our front of house guy can mix those in. And, and we try and make those less prominent because we want it to feel like two guitar players carrying the song from stage. And, uh, and some songs are really just kind of straightforward rock and they don't have a bunch of extra parts in them. But really the kind of things that we add into our tracks are like um, either secondary texture guitar parts or um, counter melody guitar parts that are happening. Um, things that, that we wouldn't be actually playing on stage because we would be playing rhythm and lead, you know. Sure, sure. Yeah. Hey, James, this is Chris. Sorry I'm late to the party. Hey, dude. Um, one thing I've been wanting to ask you, um, you mentioned uh, there was a show that you did in Ukraine. Uh, you, you always talk about it was like the best show ever. Yeah. Um, and I've been wanting to ask you, like, what, can you just talk about that and, like, describe, you know, what, what made you love that? Absolutely. Um, we actually, we did a tour in Ukraine. And we did um, seven shows in six cities. Oh, wow. Um, from eastern Ukraine, literally like 60 kilometers from the Russian border, where much of the conflict is currently taking place, um, and all the way to the west uh, in a town west of Kiev called Himelnitsky. And then we played in Kiev also. Um, and honestly, all of those shows, <laughs> subsequently, show after show, I was like, man, that show was my favorite. And then the next one would happen. <laughs> um, and dude, really, what it came down to was um, two things. Um, you, you know, as a Christian when you feel the Lord moving in your life in such a powerful way and you feel that the Lord is using you and moving in other people's lives in such a real way and you see the evidence of it and it's totally tangible, it is, um, it is so uh, compelling to want to be around that all the time and to just keep experiencing that over and over again, right? So like that's, that's what it felt like to be there, like actual, I mean, not, not actual as in all the other stuff we do is not real, but um, this just felt like very substantial, very significant kingdom work that was happening when we were in Ukraine because there are people that are very um, oppressed right now and they're searching for freedom and national identity and really we know as believers in Jesus, freedom is in Christ and our identity is in Christ. And so everywhere we went, 
these people were really hungry for freedom and we got to tell them where freedom really comes from and to see their response was just incredible and I wanted to be around it all the time you know and so the second aspect of why it was so significant was the people um as soon as we got to Ukraine we just felt this um sense of like gratefulness from the people they were so surprised that we would actually come there during a period of war for them and they were just so grateful that we would come there and genuinely treated us as if we were brothers just everywhere we went um so kiev the last night the last show of the tour was in this really big club in in kiev which is the capital and um you know every show we had was completely sold out it was packed oftentimes a couple thousand people outside who couldn't get in and it was just incredible and uh we really want to go back as soon as possible but um that show in particular in kiev was just like it was that kind of show you just like dream about you know like almost if a hollywood director was writing a movie about like this really cool concert <laughs> it was like exactly like what you would see in like a movie you know it was just amazing now were these were was this primarily all cutlass fans or did you gain a lot of new fans there or? um well they were all screaming every word right along with us and singing oh, okay. every word to every song so i would imagine that these are people who really loved our band and were waiting for a long time for us to come um but i think we also gained a lot of new fans too um it really seemed as though um most like for the most part most of the people in ukraine knew that there was like this big christian tour happening it was super cool when do you plan to go back as soon as possible. <laughs> it was the weirdest feeling. Like when I landed here in America, coming back home, um, you know, I was in walking through the airport in Portland and I knew that my wife and my son were about to come pick me up at the curb. And obviously I was super excited to see them and hug them and give them a kiss and just be home with them. But I really felt this like dystopian kind of feeling where I just, like, I wanted to get back on a plane and go back right away, you know? And I really found myself in the months, and still to this day, in the months prior to that, just asking myself, like, is this what a missionary feels like, you know? I'm constantly thinking about this place, these people. I just, I want to be with them. Everything that happens to them, I, I want to experience. I want to, you know see them fall in love with God. I want to share that with them. And it was just um, really incredible. So so when we go back, I, I hope I'm not just chasing a feeling. You know, I do want to go back because we feel like there's work to be done. And, um, you know, I, I want to take that seriously. But that that's how it felt. You think you'll, you guys will do any, um, like, footage next time? Uh, we actually filmed the whole tour and oh, uh, did. yeah, we, we have, we're, we're kind of working on, this is a secret project, so we can talk about it on your blog, I guess. Um, <laughs> we, uh, 
we're we're kind of working on like a long form documentary movie. Um, but of course, uh, we don't really have a story yet. We're just kind of watching it all develop, you know. So we're just trying to film as much as possible. And our drummer is a very talented um, video editing and, and direction and stuff. So we're just trying to, like, see what happens, I guess you could say. I know we're hitting the wall, but we we got to ask at least one gear question. Somewhere out there, there is yeah, a, a young talk. guy saying, talk about the gear. So We can talk uh, for a few more minutes. Go for it. Yeah, so, so what's, you know, we were talking earlier about transitioning from the studio to the stage. And I, I suppose when you, when you travel internationally, it's even tighter than the average American tour. Um, so what's your, what's your must have stuff to get the cutlass sound? Yeah. Um, well, I, uh, I need a guitar. I need two guitars actually because we have two different tunings that we kind of go back and forth between. And um, um, I have been using um, this this really awesome uh, guitar from this luthier in North Carolina. His name Andy Elliott, and he made me this guitar. It's called a Tone Master. It's uh, a Jazz Master style body um and it is uh just incredible he uh developed the pickups himself and hand wired them um this guitar was co-designed with a really incredible guitarist named peter stroud uh founder of 65 amps and plays for a bunch of people like Cheryl crow and he and andy designed this guitar um so I bring that with me, uh, and that is tuned uh, standard drop D, though, so like drop one. And, um, and then for a long time, I've always taken this uh, 99 Les Paul standard that I have um, that is like my go-to guitar. But I actually just started working with this new guitar company, uh, well, they're they're actually not new. They're just new to me. They're um, they've been around since the '40s. They're called Kiesel Guitars, um, spelled like the word diesel, but with a K at the beginning. Um, and they're making me a bunch of guitars right now. I'm super excited about, uh, especially because since we're kind of heading back into the rock territory, um, these guitars will kind of be lean and mean rock and roll machines. Um, and then the Elliott guitar really helps me bridge the gap between the, the very um, polarizing sounds in Cutlass because we have a broad spectrum of music, you know. Um, we have very different sounds from record to record. And uh, as you hinted at, I've got to try and replicate those the best I can. And really the best way to do that is just um, and I try and tell people this all the time, but um, the sounds that a guitarist makes are really his connection with his hands and the guitar itself, you know. Um, and all the other stuff is a bunch of fluff. And if you can't play without it, 
then <laughs> you should probably stop messing around with it anyway. Um, but the, the things I bring with me that I would feel like I have to have um, are uh, a good overdrive pedal. And I've been using a pedal made by Nick Greer called the Greer Amps Lightspeed. And um, it's just a very awesome transparent overdrive. And, um, and then I would probably have to use a delay of some sort. Right now I use two delays um, and I set one to dotted eighths and I set the other to quarter notes. And uh, I typically tap in the faster tempo first in my signal and then the slower, well, it's not a slower tempo, but it's a slower subdivision. You guys know what I mean. Um, is after that in my signal chain. Um, and right now what I'm using is Diamond Pedals Memory Lane Jr. Um, and a Boss RE20 Space Echo, which I like a lot because it adds some reverb to the end of that uh, delay DK. Um, so those things are like must-haves for me, but I pretty much bring the same pedal board with me everywhere and um, two guitars with me in a flight bag. And then when I'm on tour, I actually have a lot more guitars with me. Cool. Yeah. That's sweet. Uh, any, any particular amp you use or just yeah, available? Yeah. Um, on tour... Um, I, I play for a company called Tyler Amps and, um, oh, they're great. Yeah. Uh, I would, I work really closely with John Brinton, who's the owner of that company. Um, I was for a long time, the A&R for Tyler Amps, but I have since stepped down because, um, it got so popular that I was just not able to handle it all. <laughs> and yeah. I'm, uh, besides being a touring musician and a dad uh i'm also in seminary so i really didn't have time uh between studying and all the other stuff i really didn't have time to do that anymore but i play um so my amp setup is um i run one amp clean and one amp dirty and at the end of my pedal board signal is an aby switcher and my clean amp is a tyler amps jt46 which is modeled after a, a Marshall Bluesbreaker. It has KT66 tubes in it, and I like to run it very loud and uh, sort of broken up, almost like a Vox would be a little bit broken up. Um, and, um, and then my dirty amp is actually an Orange Amps uh, Thunderverb 50. I've worked with Orange for a long time, too. Um, since probably about 2006 or so, I've been an orange player. And um, that is just a beefy, big-sounding gain amp, sort of like a, uh, like a JCM 800, you know. But I really dig the 50-watt um, dirty amps, and um, I almost always am drawn to an amp that has a reverb circuit in it, whether or not I use the reverb sound um, there's just something about that reverb transformer that warms up the, the tone to me that I just really love. And um, with dirty amps, I almost always prefer EL 34s. Yeah, those are those are solid choices there. 
Thank you. <laughs> and, and I'm and I'm sure so, and I'm sure there's there's guys who are going oh and then they're going to get on and, and look up Tyler which they should. Yeah, they should, dude. They're great. Yeah. 